Welcome to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Badass Direct Sales Mastery is a podcast for rock star direct sales moms who are determined to make their business kick ass. Jenny will share her knowledge of effective sales and recruiting techniques, tips to get what you want from your business, and will interview direct sales professionals and leaders from various companies. The interviews will give insight to how these rock stars got to where they are and where they plan to grow in the future. And now, the direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Welcome back, everybody, to Badass Direct Sales Mastery. I'm your host, Jenny Bellinger, your direct sales dom, and I am really excited to share our next guest with you. Her name is Paulina Tenor, and I was introduced to her by Virginia Moose Keys when we got to interview her on the Bad Girls on Business podcast. And Paulina is an entrepreneur, an angel investor, a TEDx speaker, and an upcoming author. During the day, she is a businesswoman and a founder of Grant Tree, started with a purpose to help tech startups navigate the complex world of government funding. And at night, she's a burlesque star. So welcome, Paulina. Thank you, Jenny. It's amazing to be in the show. Thank you so much for bringing me on. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. And so Paulina, tell everybody a little bit more about your journey as a CEO, founder and angel investor, and then how you got into the world of burlesque. How do those things, like most people do not see those two things in combination. Those are diametrically opposed things in most people's minds. So let's talk about your journey. Sure. So um, I've been in business for maybe 12 or 13 years, and I started my second business, Grand Tree, uh, in 2010. And yeah, it's been a roller coaster, but I'm really, really proud of what we achieved, particularly in the realms of company culture. So in my company, people set their own salaries and all the financials are transparent. So uh, yeah, it's been a fascinating ride. But at some point, maybe two or three years into the development of the business, I felt a little bit tired and depleted, to be honest with you. I felt like only my brain was engaged and the rest of my personality, the kind of risque, mischievous part of me wasn't really finding an outlet. Mm -hmm. And I was just really, really tired of growing my business all the time and not having any time whatsoever for myself and to really kind of explore my creativity and my my flow. So uh, there was one time in particular when I was in Piccadilly Circus in London and I was having all these thoughts, oh my God, like, am I wasting my creative potential? I'm not really kind of engaging my most um, kind of extraordinary uh, and mischievous part of me. And I was kind of walking past the place which used to be called Café de Paris, and in there, they have burlesque shows. And just like that, I thought to myself, I'm going to find out how to become a burlesque showgirl. I love that. That seems yeah. like so out of, well, what we call here in the US, so out of left field, like a yeah. totally different, most CEOs would not be walking past something and go, oh, I'm going to go learn how to do burlesque dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. so what about that attracted you to want to do that? I just felt this is it. I need to do something outrageous again. I need to be naughty again. I need to be 
come back to my creativity. I need to feel like my full self again. Mm. Uh, and it was just one of those serendipitous events that I was walking past that place. And I just thought to myself, what if I, what if I did that too? Mm. Like, what would my life look like? And from then on, so I messaged a few people, made a few calls and a few of my girlfriends came back with some links. And one of them pointed me to this school called the cheek of it, which uh, runs burlesque courses. Uh, and uh, yeah, and the rest is history. I did a few courses with them. I developed my persona, my act, because it's all about kind of discovering who your burlesque persona is, what she is like. Uh, you know, what's her story to then develop an act, which you're going to showcase. So my first act was all about this uh, corporate dominatrix. So this woman that kind of stomps on dead bodies of men on her way to the top and just fires men and is just really, really ruthless. But underneath it all, she really craves to be to be dominated. So, uh, yeah, so that was my first act. I had this stunning made-to-measure suit on me and underneath it I had a costume made of belts and chains and I undressed on stage and revealed that costume and I basically surrendered to the audience I would pick somebody to the audience and sing a song to him or to her to her and just talk about my desire to really surrender and be dominated so that uh-huh. was that went down really really well it was one of the happiest moments of my life when i performed it for the first time i just felt so much exhilaration so much excitement it was amazing and now this is something for you i hope you have video of your very first performance of that I just do. for your own pleasure I right do, yeah oh that's amazing that's so cool And so now you've been doing this for a number of years. And if people go look for you on, you know, YouTube, they can find your TED Talks that you have because you actually have two of them, correct? I have one TED Talk and some other talks as well online. Uh, So the, the reason, the way that TEDx Talk came about is that for a number of years, I had the split personality. So I was, you know, somebody somebody by day somebody else by night and uh, it was kind of fun but it was also a bit disturbing because I felt like oh what if somebody from the business world or one of our clients say found out that I strip on stage you know mm-hmm. what would happen if they were in the club while I'm performing and then I was then it came a moment came when I just thought screw it this is me I'm mm-hmm. proud of all aspects of me and I decided to bring it together. So to bring my business persona and my burlesque persona together. And that happened at that TEDx talk where I was speaking as a business person, but I had images on the backdrop. I had images of me performing burlesque and stripping. And it was like a conversation between one part of me and the other part of me. And uh, it was like a coming out. It was beautiful. I've actually watched the TED talk before I, because Virginia sent it to me before we had our interview, because she said, you've got to see this because this is who we're going to interview this week. And it was absolutely fascinating. And so after that, how were you received in the business world now that, oh my gosh, people knew that you were a burlesque dancer? Was it a secret anymore? Were there people who accepted it? How did it change your life or did it even change your life? To be honest, I was expecting much more of a 
kerfuffle about it, around it. But actually what happened is that, so one, one event that happened is that I got invited on this prestigious panel in my industry of engineering and technology. So it's a panel that informs the government about the policy for you know, the world of engineering and information technology. And uh, there was this guy from Rolls Royce, a really, really senior guy who was the chairman of the panel. And once we were sitting at dinner next to each other and I asked him, well, how come, you know, I'm one of the youngest and least experienced people in the room. How come he invited me on this panel? And he said he watched my TEDx talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of realized people really, I think a lot of people crave that sort of rawness and authenticity and are maybe not entirely able to bring all aspects of themselves forth and and miss that miss that ability and opportunity to be able to yeah bring the wildness and the rawness into the business world as well so it was received positively in general Oh, and that's good to hear. And which isn't surprising to me, because I think over in Europe, many of those things are probably more accepted than maybe here in the US, because let me tell you the number of people who, oh my goodness, when they find out the the name of my podcast and the, the acronym is BDSM. And, you know, when I first put it out there, people were like, are you aware that's BDSM? I was like, yeah. And they go, did you mean for that? Yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, so having been able to put that out there now, so what year was the TED Talk? 2014. 2014. So that was six years ago, yeah. right? A seven, almost seven years ago, depending on time of year. So since then, obviously, it's at least fairly well known. You definitely are not keeping any of it secret anymore. And in fact, you've now written a book called Laid Bare. And I know there's a tag, there's a, a tagline in the second half of the, the title here. So Laid Bare. What the business leader learned from the stripper. Oh, <laughs> I cannot wait to read that book. <laughs> Thank you. I think that Thank sounds you. amazing. So what inspired you then to write the book? I just thought the TEDx talk went down so well that I really would like to expand on that and talk more about the business, the lessons that my business persona learned from my performance showgirl. And there is so much that came from that integration of those two parts of my personality and my leadership style changed. And um, yeah, I became a whole, whole, wholly different person altogether. So I really wanted to write about that. And uh, I absolutely loved the writing process. It was just, I was so in my flow when I was producing the first draft that came together in three months. Oh, wow. I absolutely loved it. Just that opportunity to be raw, honest and lay bare a few aspects of my personality for my readers to enjoy. Oh, that is so cool to hear. Now, what has come up for me, I'm curious, because you you mentioned in the beginning of our talk here that you have an interesting company culture in that you actually have your employees decide their own salary. And if I remember correctly, they do so in a group, right? It's not like they come to you and say, okay, I'm going to get paid you know, 50,000 pounds this year, it's they as a group know the budget and then decide. Is that correct? 
So people decide individually, but they decide in the context of financial transparency. So knowing that everybody else will know their decision instantly. Ah. So it's a hell of a lot of responsibility, actually. And it just uh, teaches people a lot of responsibility because they have to be doing their self-assessment for monthly for at least six months. They have to have it reviewed by a peer from a company. And then they have to prepare a proposal and uh, seek feedback on it. And finally, they have to make a decision knowing that the consequences of that decision are entirely on their shoulders. Mm. Now, was this always the way that you ran your company from the time it started? Or was this a creative thing that came from the burlesque piece of your life being integrated? That is a really interesting question. So it wasn't like that ever since we started. The financials were always transparent, but people weren't always setting their own salaries. I think it kind of came together as a result of changing my leadership and my business partner's leadership. So I'm actually in business with my husband. We started when we were just dating and going out together. And yeah, and then we got married as a result. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you guys are very, very transparent then. So because Aaron, yeah, and he's been so supportive of me doing my burlesque. He just loved the fact that I was so happy and so fulfilled. So and he was one of the loudest whoop whoop cheer cheer people in the audience always. Oh, that's amazing. So that company culture, obviously, I'm sure as you've gone through and been able to integrate this, this creative side of you, this authentic side of you, this transparent side of you and not hiding anymore, has this continued to add to your culture, your company culture in other ways outside of the financial piece? Yes. So the fact that I really explored the feminine side of my personality. So I believe that regardless of gender, we both have the masculine and feminine side to our leadership. And I used to be mainly in my masculine, so very young as opposed to yin. And I was very driven, very ambitious, very kind of fast thinking, doing oriented as opposed to kind of being surrender, uh, calmness, all these things that are attributed to the feminine side of our leadership. So I think a lot of integration came as a result of it. And it was a blessing for the team, definitely. And for my leadership style. Yeah. Especially if you have anyone on your team who does not deal well with an authoritarian (laughs) leader, right? Yeah. 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 So this also leads into some of what you cover, I believe, in your book, which is the leadership style, right? You have a four pillar, a four concept leadership. Is that right? It's about leadership? Yes. So I've got a leadership framework known as C-U-N-T, leadership (laughs) framework. Yeah. (laughs) I love it so much. Curious and apologetic, notorious and trustful. Okay. Say it again. So C-U-N-T and that is... B for curious, U for unapologetic, N for notorious, and T for trustful. Mm, I hope everybody took notes on that. So, and I remember from our previous conversation that two of them are the more masculine side of the leadership that you were talking about, and two of them are the feminine side. So let's dig more into that because I think there's a lot of people who, especially women, I think we're very used to being able to access those different things, even though we don't necessarily think about them as being masculine, feminine. But I think that 
by having a very specific thing like you have the CUNT framework to be able to help people begin to identify those parts of themselves and becoming leaders for themselves. So let's talk about the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, CNT, curious and trustful, are the feminine attributes that sort of surround the mas- the masculine, notorious, and uh, unapologetic. And uh, curiosity is really important because it really changes our perspective. We are not stuck in a certain perspective. We're not judgmental. We are open. We are playful. If you really approach problems with the mindset of curiosity, they become games. They become something to be played with and something to be kind of toy around with as opposed to something super serious. So it's, you know, encourages that openness in us. So it's, for me, it's a very feminine attribute and trustful. There's a lot to be said for trusting the process in business. So kind of surrendering and trusting what comes, trusting your own intuition, trusting what arises uh, to the surface and not necessarily needing to be in control all the time. Mm. And unapologetic and notorious are very kind of driven uh, masculine attributes. So uh, unapologetic, it's all about, you know, not apologizing for your charisma, for your talent as a leader, really kind of thriving to make a dent in the world and to um, really change away a given industry is run, for example. And I see that a lot in startup founders, that kind of unapologetic attitude, which is which is brilliant. Just knowing that you're going to, if you're really unapologetic, you're going to piss some people off because that's the nature of being a successful startup founder, a disruptive startup founder that some people are profiting from a given industry or sector of business being run in a certain way. And yeah. it's all about not being not being afraid to just really bring a, bring a, he- a, a havoc in it. That's what unapologetic stands for. And notorious, it's not in a kind of ill-fame sense of the world, of the word, but more... A certain kind of notoriety is, is there is this animalistic almost quality of certain business founders and startup founders that I see. So they just desire to press forward, push forward, no matter what, no matter what uh, difficulties they encounter on their way. So Paul Graham, who is the founder of Y Combinator, the probably the biggest, uh, the most successful accelerator globally, talks about just a founder being like an animal. So just like never stopping, like being completely, totally obsessed with an idea. So that's what I call notorious. uh, And it's definitely a masculine quality. Oh, I would agree with that. So some things came up as you were talking about these different pieces. I think the curiosity and the trustfulness are things that many women are fairly used to. The unapologetic piece, (laughs) I think is an area that really fits well with the audience here because the audience who's watching and listening to this right now are in the world of direct sales and network marketing and MLM. And, And I don't know if this is the case for you guys over in the UK, but here in the US, that industry is often seem viewed or has a perception of a very healthy dose of skepticism, cynicism, disbelief, right? Mm -hmm. They're not trusting of the industry. And I think being unapologetic for the fact that you're willing to 
jump into a direct sales business and run it like a business and make money and be successful despite other people's cynicism, I think is something that many women in the direct sales industry struggle with because they don't want to be seen. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't necessarily want to do that. But I know that people who are here at this summit, they're into the badassery, right? <laughs> they signed up, they want to hear it. So what are some tips that you have to help someone shift from a very apologetic way of being? Because I think women have a tendency to be, I'm sorry for this or sorry that I feel this way. Yeah. You know, how can one shift from that to being unapologetic? Mm, I think it's all about self-belief, to be honest with you. It's all about really trusting and believing in yourself beyond anything else. And it's about knowing that I've got value to bring. I'm, I'm wanted and I'm needed in the world. My message is needed and I deserve to be heard. Mm-hmm. I think that's the shift that you need yeah. to make from, from apologetic to unapologetic. Ah, I love it. And you also brought up the trust piece, which I think those two things are very intricately woven together because the trust, you've got to trust yourself, trust that you're doing this, trust in your company, trust in your product, trust in your upline leaders who want to help you trusting. But I think the biggest part is the trusting in yourself in order to move forward. So is trusting in yourself something that you had struggled with before you jumped onto the burlesque stage? I think it's something that's a journey. It's, I definitely trust myself more than I used to, but there are still days and there are moments where I could trust in myself more. So I see it as a journey, as a lifelong journey, really learning to trust yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And I think too, there are times when we can trust in ourselves in in certain aspects of our lives and others, we feel less than confident, right? So it's it's a journey, not just lifelong in the amount of time that you're going to be doing this, but also in different areas of your life. So I know many of us are parents, and this is probably an area where many of us feel less than confident and trusting in our knowledge and ability because none of us have ever done this before (laughs) and there's no manual or handbook to being a parent. And so I think understanding that this trusting in yourself and becoming an unapologetic business person, unapologetic parent for the way that you're going, that you want to raise your children. I think those are definitely very closely intertwined on that. Yes, absolutely. So I think those listening are already on their way to becoming unapologetic just by kind of, as you say, jumping in and wanting to listen to uh, to us and to other speakers. Yeah, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So those of you who are listening and watching right now, you're here for a reason. There's something in this message that Paulina has for you that was meant just for you, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why you're here. So please take note of all of this. Now, as we continue to walk through this framework, so we also have the notoriety piece, which is the, as you called it, the, I've lost the words. It's being the animalistic animalistic. pursuer of a dream or a vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you were talking about that, it was bringing up images for me of like, Steve Jobs, right? Yeah, Elon Musk. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, the, so Steve Jobs is well known for that because he followed, he 100% believed and knew what he wanted to bring into the world. Yes. Elon Musk is very much doing the same thing, right? And not to say that they didn't have mistakes, downfalls, obstacles, right? Well, they have plenty and they're just building on their mistakes. I think they're celebrating their mistakes, if anything. Yeah. Because that's what success is. It's a result of being able to really embrace and celebrate your failures and have plenty of them. Yeah, because everyone thinks the road to success is this nice straight line and it's not. <laughs> you know, the meme yeah. I've seen on Facebook is that it's this big, swirly, knotted mess of craziness. And then all of a sudden you're at success up here. <laughs> like it's, exactly. it's a crazy, messy thing as you go along. So with the book, so you, is this where you lay out your cunt framework for leadership there? It Absolutely. It's just in, it's in a couple of chapters, but I talk a lot about feminine and masculine. I talk a lot about company culture mm. and I talk a lot about stripping. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to talk about the company culture piece, because again, a lot of the yeah. people who are watching this are solopreneurs. They are independent contractors with a company and that company has an established culture, but I think that they can definitely learn from you in the culture that you set with your company as well in creating their own team culture. Cause it doesn't matter if you say team or company, right? It's a group of people who are interacting, right? So let's talk about that company culture piece. So did you intentionally develop the culture in your business or was this something that developed based on the people that came into it? I intentionally developed it with my partner and then we are getting more and more people that really appreciated that and people maybe that appreciated it less or it wasn't quite for them slowly but surely left the team. So it was something that we intentionally developed um, because we wanted to create the kind of workplace that we would want to work in if we were looking for a job today. So uh, we, I just remember that session that we had with a business consultant who, that was kind of back when it was maybe four or five of us, and so very early on, and he laid out this org chart and told us, okay, you need to start thinking about what your reporting lines are going to be and what roles are going to be and your performance appraisals, et cetera, et cetera. And our hearts really sank and we just felt, is this what we kind of got out of our, out of our employment for to kind of recreate the kind of workplace that we managed to escape? And that's when we decided, okay, we're actually going to do some reading, do some research, find out how people go about creating companies that transcends the traditional hierarchical model. And so we did. So we came across a few books, like, for example, Maverick by Ricardo Semler, a Brazilian entrepreneur, fantastic entrepreneur that created a financial transparency and self-set pay in the company of thousands. And we got seriously inspired and we thought, okay, if this can be done in other parts of the world, in bigger companies, it probably can be done in a UK startup. Yeah, why not? I would think it would be so much easier to implement when there's four or five of you versus a company of exactly. thousands, right? Yeah, exactly. Getting buy-in from four or five people, a lot easier than buy-in from a thousand or more, right? Yeah. So in doing that, what are some of the considerations you guys put out as you were planning your culture that maybe these direct sales leaders who are watching and listening right now can begin to implement as when they think about their own culture? So what are some 
two or three specific things that you would recommend they keep in mind? I would really recommend just as a leader, do some thinking about what it would take to treat people in my company or people on my team as adults. How can I give them, you know, more power over their time, over their energy, over how they choose to prioritize work, prioritize different goals. So how you can empower them to really be in control more of their resources, maybe even their salary but resources like time and energy to begin with. And look at how you could make the company more transparent. So how can you give people access to more information to reduce the politics and water cooler conversations? How can you make it more egalitarian? How can you give people access to kind of conversations that are typically happening behind closed doors? Mm. Um, I think this is the wholesome leadership of tomorrow that the world really needs. Uh, I 100% agree with that. (laughs) And if we can get more leaders on board, especially people who are in this industry to start running that way, then they're going to also take that ripple effect because many of them are still also working a part-time or full-time job at a company, a corporation, a school, a hospital, a store or something, right? And they can begin to take those concepts of leadership back into those places as well. And we can slowly spread this wonderful way of leadership and company culture one by one, right? Exactly. Exactly. And people that have worked in Grant Tree and chose to move on, they already have a different expectation of of their future employers. They kind of are taking elements of the culture with them. And that's what I've seen as well. So it's kind of transformative. So, uh, yeah, I totally believe in that ripple effect as well. I totally get you there. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. But yeah, because some of the people who you said, you know, weeded themselves out because they weren't necessarily a fit any longer. Right. But then they go elsewhere and they go, oh, <laughs> maybe I did like this piece of Grant Tree Company culture and way of doing things. Right. And so yeah. have, have they started making those ripple effects and changes at other companies around you because of them going out into the world? Yes, I've definitely seen some signs of that. In some cases, they've created their own teams. So the way we, the culture that we developed has had an effect on how they grew as as human beings and what expectations and goals they have now when it comes to their workplaces. So there definitely is some ripple effect, definitely. Ah, that is so super cool. I love that. So you have the book coming out. Do you have a release date for it? Uh, at this stage, it's likely to be November um, okay. because there's been some changes that I introduced and I wanted to make sure that I'm ready for it and the world is ready for it. <laughs> so at this point in time, do you have a way for people to sign up? Because if they're listening and watching right now, I'm sure they're going, they're salivating, ready for the book. So do you have any pre-order links or is there a newsletter that people can sign up for yeah, so that they can be absolutely. notified? Absolutely. So if you go to Paulina Tenner, double N, Tenner.com, Paulina Tenner.com and sign up to my newsletter there, you will receive a copy of the CUNT leadership framework as a thank you for signing up. And I will be keeping you personally, keeping you updated about the book's progress and when it's coming out. 
oh, I'm going to go sign up right now because <laughs> I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure I'm one of the first people in line to get this book and read it. I am so excited because this has been, you know, like I said, this is my second opportunity to get to talk to you about this. And I knew I had to share you with my audience. I knew that this was something that was definitely applicable, not just in the traditional quote unquote, I put air quotes around this for those of you who are listening on the podcast traditional business world, these concepts work in direct sales as well, because business is business is business, right? We just get to tweak it based on how we operate our business. So Paulina, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your brilliance in all of this. I so appreciate you. You know me, I just love stripping in front of audiences. So it's just (laughs) a pleasure to lay out the different parts of myself for others to appreciate. So Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and delight. Oh, I love it. And now everyone's going to be going and and searching on Google for the Paulina TED Talk and to see if they could. Are any of your dances available on the web either for people to find or are those all private videos? Uh, They are private. However, if people message me, I'm happy to share them. Oh, my goodness. That's (laughs) awesome. Well, good, Paulina. Thank you so much again for being here. So excited to be able to share what you have with our audience here. So, and I look forward to getting your book. So thanks again. Thanks again. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for listening to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Why are you waiting to go to badassdirectsalesmastery.com? Don't make the dom get her whip. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with another rock star that you know in direct sales after you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. You can also check out the show notes for links and any contact information mentioned in today's episode. We'll see you next time.